This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Wednesday night service. We are going to have an awesome time tonight. Man, we have been absolutely thrilled with the turnout we've been having at the drive-in services the past two Sundays. And as you recall, this coming Sunday, those doors are opening up and we are going to assemble together in the sanctuary. And the best part is the governor gave his approval, which is awesome. We were going to do it anyway, but I thank God that he heard our prayers and worked on Governor Newsom's heart. And now we have his permission to do so. That just makes it even more sweet. So praise God. We're going to look at some of these things in the Bible tonight and and kind of look at what happens when the government rule goes against what the Bible says. What are Christians supposed to do? And so it's an interesting time to study all those things. But first, we're going to get into some praise and worship. So I encourage you guys, we've got so much to be thankful for right now. You need to start priming yourselves, pumping yourselves up, because Sunday I want to hear you loud and clear as we sing praises to Jesus together. Let's get into some worship. Hey everyone, we're going to get into some praise and worship here, and Ray's going to help me out once again, so let's just all stand up and worship the Lord together.
right, guys, let's go ahead and get into the Word of God together tonight. It's going to be exciting to to study some of the stuff we're looking at. And it's really, if you think about it, it's a pretty wild time to be alive as a Christian right now. You know, we just spent the last nine weeks discovering and studying what the Bible says the end times is going to be like. And we've seen that there's... A lot of things happening right now. There's a lot of things that have already happened. And there's a lot that's still going to happen. Future tense. But right now, we're right in the thick of it. Of what God is doing. And I believe that we are set up perfectly for an end times revival of people coming to Jesus. And so I encourage you, man, if there's somebody you've been praying for, if there's somebody you've been witnessing to, working on for years to, to come to the to come to the light, to come receive Jesus, and maybe they've rejected it and been closed all this time, try again. Right now is a special time, and there's a special opportunity to get people to receive Jesus because they want answers, and guess what? The news apparently doesn't have them. The the doctors on TV and, and, and the experts that we see in all these fields, they're outstanding in their fields, and I'm like, yeah, they're really outstanding in a field somewhere because they don't know what they're talking about. They have to retract their statements by the day, but guess what? Through all this, you know who hasn't had to retract any statements? Jesus. He's been right on every single time. So the world is looking for answers, and you have them. And right now is the time to uh, get people the answers and the truth that they're looking for. People are ready to receive Jesus, even if they weren't before. So, you know, it's been awesome the last two drive-in services. Like I said, we've had... Phenomenal turnouts. We've been responsible and all that stuff and spaced out. This past Sunday, we spaced out a whole lot more, which is, that's cool. But, and then I loved it, but I'm ready to get in to God's house, get in there and worship together. And, and you know, one thing that we hear every day right now is, oh, the church isn't a building and duh. We get that. But guess what? God does some special things when we gather together in unity and in one accord there's what we refer to as the corporate anointing of you bringing your spark me bringing my spark this guy bringing his and we put them all together man and there's a flame a burning fire for jesus and that's what we want and we're ready for that so let me just say a few things first before we uh, get into the word here at the beginning of may Several California pastors got together and decided uh, we're gonna we need to start having church. You know, I don't know if you've seen this. Suicide rates have gone up. I mean, domestic violence, depression, lots of things have happened since we've virtually been locked in our homes and really been able to go lots of places except for church. And I don't believe that that's coincidental. Like I know based on the stories and the people that talk to me because I talk to hundreds of people every week. There's not a day that goes by that people don't come to me for prayer through texting or Facebook or whatever. And I love it. I'm great with that. I'm fine with that. But I know firsthand that people need church. They need to be in God's house. So all these pastors, they came together and put together a game plan of reopening churches in a safe and uh, healthy and hopefully legal manner. So over 3,000 churches kind of signed a pact to, to go in together, and we're going to safely have church beginning May 31st. 
and we're one of those churches, and thank God at this point the governor and the president have said, you know what, go ahead, do it. Uh, so that's, that makes it a lot easier, but either way, like I said, we, we're going to do it because we fear God more than we do people. And some have asked, well, well, aren't you afraid? Listen, I'm more afraid of what would happen if we didn't obey God. I fear God more than I do anybody, any person or any government. I just want to obey God and do what he's telling us to do. And so uh, Friday, this past Friday, uh, great news, President Trump said churches are essential. And we kind of expected maybe a little pushback from our California governor. And, uh, and you know, long story short, Monday he went ahead and said, yes, churches can reopen effective immediately. And there's some guidelines, and that's cool. I'll, we will respect those. We'll obey those. We'll go beyond those to obey them so long as they don't go against what the Bible teaches. And we're going to kind of get into some of this tonight. And I'm going to, I'm going to talk about an interesting topic. And the topic is this. When is it okay to not obey what our rulers are telling us to do? So I guess if there was a title, it would be, when is it okay to not obey? And to some people, that's, you'll get a lot of different answers. And if there's one thing I'm finding out right now, everybody has an opinion and a different answer to everything that, you know, first of all, that the country's dealing with, but also even as a church, what we're dealing with. Everybody's got a different opinion, and that's fine. Everybody's welcome to have an opinion, but one counts, and that's God's, and that's what we got to listen to. But uh, let's look at Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 4, because there's, man, there's just lots of, Great quotes that I'm hearing people give all the time right now. Some of them are scriptural, some are not. Uh, and, and, you know, this is an absolute 100% correct verse because every verse in the Bible is. But Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 4, it says, Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Amen. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they'll be punished. Amen. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? I would. Well, guess what? Do what is right, and they will honor you. And I, that's the truth, man. I'm never afraid of, uh, you know, am I going to get a ticket if I'm doing the speed limit? But, hey, let's just be transparent here. There's been a time or two when I wasn't doing the speed limit, and I was afraid that I would get one. And, again, there's no fear in our hearts uh, with the authorities if we're doing what's right. So, amen, that, that, that makes sense. So the question from Romans 13 is, are we supposed to always obey the government? And the answer is yes. Of course we are. Of course you're supposed to always obey the rulers over you had just said that unless they're asking you or forcing you to do something that goes totally against what the Bible says. I'm getting ready to show you, I don't know, five, six, or seven biblical examples of times that people had to disobey what they were being told by their government, and God didn't get mad at them. God blessed them for it. 
So I'll say this. I'm not ever looking to be disobedient to the government. I'm a compliant person. I'm a softy. Uh, you, those of you that know me know that, that I'm, I'm a peacemaker. I'm a lover, not a fighter. I, I know I'm always, I'm just trying to, I like to get along with everybody. And, uh, and I'm just, I'm not a fighter. But there are some things that, yeah, I'll end up having to, uh, when push comes to shove, when it comes to the Bible, that's a different story. And, uh, and I'll say that, you know, it's not easy, man. Uh, I'm a right-wing conservative person living in California. There's hardly any laws probably that I agree with uh, in this state, man. I was just talking to someone 10 minutes ago that, man, it seems like everything I vote for, uh, either if it does pass, some some judge somewhere from Timbuktu will come in and override it. It's It's frustrating and it's difficult. But guess what? I comply even if I don't like it. Even if I don't agree with all of it and it goes against my political beliefs, I, I'm, I'll, hey, the Bible told me in Romans 13 that I have to submit to those above me. So I do it, whether I like it or not. No argument there every time. But when they start to force me to do things or put us in a position that's totally against what the Bible's telling us to do, you know, Hebrews 10 tells us to not forsake the assembly of the saints. That means don't not go to church. Don't forsake it. Going to church is New Testament. There's other verses, but that's the most famous one. Going to church is a very biblical New Testament thing to do. In fact, I'm commanded to do it if you really want to break it down that way. And when the government begins to say, you know, uh, marijuana dispensaries, that's essential, but uh, going to church is not. The film industry needs to open, and if, if, even if that means filming nasty pornographic movies, then so be it. That's essential. But the church is not. You know, people being able to go buy whiskey and vodka and whatever alcohol they want. No, that's that's essential. You can't mess with that. But grandma going to church on Sunday, or or these kids getting to hear about Jesus, or you know, the soldier coming from Fort Irwin that's been struggling with PTSD, and it's only better when he's at church. That's a true story that I'm dealing with right now with someone. I mean, when that type of stuff happens, that's wicked to say that we can still abort babies. That's one political thing I'm not afraid to talk about. But we can abort babies and, and still leave that wide open, but we can't let people come to church. That's wicked, and that's wrong, and that's crossing a line and and um and that that's that's a fight that we're willing to have. Now again, thank God that uh our governor uh came around and God answered our prayers, but there is a time when it's okay to not obey, if that makes any sense. So um there seems to be two schools of thought on the Romans thirteen thing. One school of thought is obey the government no matter what, because Romans thirteen says to and, you know, no matter what they tell you, you have to obey. And I hear some Christians say that. And, okay, that, you know, that's, that's what you believe. And then there's the other, which I don't like, the nearly anarchist point of view, where, you know, it's everything that they're doing is evil and, and conspiracy theories and sharing things on Facebook that you could easily Google in one minute and find out that it's not true. I mean, there's some pretty gnarly stuff on both sides, but there's a balance 
in the middle of the road. There's always a balance to everything. And that's where we want to be. So, uh, there's several biblical examples of what we'll call civil disobedience that we're going to look at tonight. And I'll, I'll move through these pretty quickly because I want to cover it all. Uh, but let's look at some biblical examples of civil disobedience. Exodus 1, 15 through 17. Here's, we have a story of ladies that were commanded to do something that was evil, wrong, against their beliefs, definitely against what God wanted from them, and so they, they took a stand. Exodus 1, 15 through 17. It says, Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Puah. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live too. Now, to the, to the view that says no matter what, you have to obey everything, no matter what, that you're told to do. Well, then you would have to say, in this case, these two women were wrong. They were commanded by their government, by their rulers, to kill every male Hebrew baby. They didn't do it. And do you think that God punished them for their disobedience to the ruler over them? Well, let's look at verses 20 and 21. It says, So God was good to the midwives, and the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. So not only did God not punish them, he blessed them for obeying him rather than them. And notice there's a key word in there, in these verses, that says that they feared God. They feared God. And when you fear God, you want to make him happier than anybody else. That's all you care about. Another story, biblical example, is in Joshua, Joshua 2, verses 15 through 16. And I'm going to move quick on these. Joshua 2, verses 15 and 16. And this is the story of Rahab the harlot. Uh, Joshua had sent in some spies to spy out the land yet again. And they came across Rahab, and she was hiding them in her house. So the government officials couldn't find them. They wanted to get these spies and kill them and get rid of them. She took them in and hid them. So let's see you know, if she was cursed for it, for disobeying. Joshua 2.15, then since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. Escape to the hill country, she told them. Hide there for three days from the men searching for you. Then when they return, you can go your way. So she hid them, and then she helped them escape. She let them down the wall uh, by a rope. And guess what? When the Israelites came back to take the city of Jericho down, she was spared. God blessed her for this act of courage and ultimately disobedience. Another one is in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 14. Kind of a bizarre story here as I'm flipping there. Uh, King Saul, during a military campaign, ordered and gave a command that no one could eat until he had won the battle with the Philistines. But Saul's son, Jonathan, he didn't apparently get the memo. He didn't hear about it. I don't know if he didn't check his email that day or, or what, but he didn't get the memo. 
And so he goes and eats some honey to get some energy and, and, and get some strength back. Well, Saul finds out about it and says, I don't care if he's my son. Kill him. He orders his own son to be killed for getting something to eat. I mean, is that just? Is that fair? Is that righteous? No. And so the people stood up for Jonathan. They defied the king in this instance and saved Jonathan's life. So 1 Samuel 14, verse 45. But the people broke in and said to Saul, Jonathan has won this great victory for Israel. Should he die? Far from it. As surely as the Lord lives, not one hair on his head will be touched. For God helped him do a great deed today. So the people rescued Jonathan, and he was not put to death. They stood up when they weren't supposed to, and they rescued Jonathan. And we know later on that Jonathan rescued David's life time and time again. So sometimes when we have to stand up for something right now, we may think that it's only for this immediate result, but there's a bigger picture ahead. What if we stand up for something right now, and yes, it helps the current situation, but a few years down the road, when something else comes along, our stand right now caused a victory three, four, whatever years down the road, whatever the case is. But we have to be willing to stand for some things. And to stand for church and stand for the Bible, yeah, count me in. I'm willing to stand for that. There's some things that aren't worth my time to fight for, but this is one of them. Another example, civil disobedience. I'm on for the sake of time, we'll just kind of skim over these. But it's in 1 Kings 18, the chapter introduces a man <clears throat> named Obadiah, and it says he feared the Lord greatly. Well, again, there it is. In all these stories, we see people that fear God. And so, Queen Jezebel, whom you've heard of, bad lady, uh, she was killing God's prophets because they were standing up against her. So Obadiah took a hundred of them and hid them from her so they could live. And this was a direct act of defiance against the ruling authority of the time, but God blessed them for it. Uh, Daniel, another example, Daniel had to stand up a lot of times. Uh, the first one was in uh, Daniel chapter 3, where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refused to bow down to the big statue that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. They, they told him, no, we, you know, we respect you. We want to go along with you as far as we can, but we are not bowing down to you. And so, of course, they got thrown into the fiery furnace, and did God just let them wilt away and burn? No, he rescued them, right? Later on, Daniel chapter 6, the king, Darius, good guy, tricked into making a decree that nobody can pray to anybody except for him. And so what does Daniel do? Does he say, well, you know, gotta just, no matter what, no questions asked, obey the, you know, what, what the law is. No. He did what he had always done. He prayed three times a day to God in heaven. And yeah, he got thrown into the lion's den. But yet again, did God let him die down there? No. God brought him out and rescued him. And then the real bad guys were, were punished and put to shame. So those were Old Testament. How about a couple New Testament? All right. I got it for you. Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 5, which we've studied the last two Sunday mornings at the drive-in service. Uh, Peter and John, they healed a crippled man in Acts chapter 3 through the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. They were commanded, don't do that ever again. Never again can you do that. And so what do you think they did? They went out and did it again. 
So they got off the first time with a warning. Second time they got arrested. But in Acts chapter 5, an angel comes and rescues them from the prison. They get out. And what do you think they do? They go straight to the temple. The angel told them, go to the temple and start preaching about Jesus. So they go right to the temple of all places and start preaching about Jesus. The rulers show up and they're like, what? How'd they get out? So this time they're arrested and they're flogged. And that's not a pretty thing, man. They get beaten to a bloody pulp, man. But Peter says something in Acts 5, verse 29, that's kind of a rallying cry at the moment for Christians and churches everywhere. Acts 5, verse 29, but Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. Now, I want to obey human authority. We all do. But there comes a point in time where if they tell me not to preach in the name of Jesus, I'm probably just going to shout it louder than I've ever shouted it before. You're not going to tell us that we have to disobey the Bible. How about one last example? That's in Revelation, which we've just studied pretty extensively for nine weeks. Uh, but uh, Revelation 15, the Antichrist is on the scene. He erects a statue, just like Nebuchadnezzar did, commands people they've got to... They've got to worship this statue and everything. Then he commands that they get a mark on their right hand or in their forehead called the mark of the beast if they're going to be able to buy or sell or live life at all. And we see from study that some people, they'll cave and get it. Well, at that point, they've chosen hell. Whether they know it or not, they'll go to hell for that. Then there's some people that they refuse and they'll be martyred. They'll die for making their stand. Then there's a third group that somehow, some way, they refuse and they make it all the way through the Great Tribulation. But those that refuse, God's not mad at them. God is glad that they refused the rule of the authority at that time. Okay, so kind of the second thing I want to say and talk about is this. It's time to open up the doors, what we're doing. And. Uh, we're doing it, thank God, legally now. That, that's awesome. I want it to be legal. Um, but look at this, Revelation 3, 7, and 8, because we all use the phrase, oh, man, God's going to open a door that no man can close. And praise God. That's, yes, that's what we want. But some people just throw that phrase around loosely. But we're in this position now where that means something more than it used to. Revelation 3, 7, and 8. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close. And what he closes, no one can open. I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. Amen. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. And I'm sitting here saying, man, I may not be the strongest guy in the world. We may not be the most famous, strongest church in the world or in, in California and, and whatever. That's fine. But we do have this going for us. We did not deny Jesus. And we're not going to deny Jesus. And because of that, there's a blessing. So, real quick, you know, just discussing the next phases. Churches haven't asked for any special treatment out of all of this. We just asked for equal treatment. You know, I was I went into the famous uh, local business uh, on Monday, uh, Eddie World. I know there's hundreds of people in there buying candy, bumping shoulders, not wearing masks, doing everything. And I'm like, come on, man. 
we can hold church safer than this. No offense to any world, they're great, and I felt safe and loved it and bought stuff and had a great time. They're doing a great job. They need to keep up the good work. Several of our church members work there, so praise God for that. But what I'm saying is we can hold church just as safely as they could. I go into the local places like the 99 cent store and there's, you know, people coughing and touching things and bumping into you. And I'm like, surely we can hold church just as safe as this. And I think a lot safer. And so churches haven't asked like, you you need to treat us better than those guys. No, we just said, hey, we can do, we can do what they're doing. We can be that safe and, and follow the rules just like everybody else. Um, and so God heard our prayers. And what we're going to do is we're going to hold church very, very safely. And when we get together starting this Sunday, yeah, it's going to be a little different for a little while. And you know what? I'm fine with that. I just want to be together. We are going to eventually get to the point where we're back to normal. And I know people are saying it'll never be normal again. Man, speak for yourself. We're going to be able to worship God as loud and proud. Our kids are going to be able to have classes eventually. It may not start that way, but it is going to get to a great place where we're the we're just as happy and loud and proud as we've always been. But you'll you'll see some things different. So I just wanted to kind of go over a few things here, and we'll release a better statement um, in the next day or two about uh, service for Sunday and then the coming weeks. But some things to expect. One, you need to know that the building is going to be disinfect, disinfected according to CDC guidelines before each service. Guarantee it. We're going to do it. Number two, in the parking lot, cars will park every other space. None of the stores are making that happen, but churches are doing it, and we're going to do that. So you'll just, we've got a huge parking lot. Just park every other space. No big deal. Uh, another thing is we're going to have a printed sign at the front door asking that as you enter, you're acknowledging that you don't have any symptoms of COVID-19 or really any other sickness, and that you've had no contact with anybody known to have COVID-19 to the best of your knowledge within the past 21 days, right? So I don't know any stores that are asking me to do that. Uh, there's going to be one-way entry and one-way exits. You know, So again, another safety measure. No kids ministry in person yet. We're going to keep doing the videos uh, on Sundays for that. And I encourage you, man, those have been powerful. The, our children's department is just rocking it right now, man. My wife and I, we, Katie and I, we love watching the videos. And, and our kids love it even more. But shout out to Leah, Desiree, all the teachers. There's so, I can't even name them. I mean, there's probably been like, it seems like 50 of you doing this stuff, the videos. But you've done a wonderful job. And so we're going to keep that up, but eventually kids ministry will be back. But until then, kids will stay with parents in the main service. And that's why the services are going to be one hour in length or less because, hey, I'm a parent with four kids and I know not every day are they just going to sit there with their hands folded and not make any noise. So I want to keep it good for parents and that's what we're going to do. So uh, no kids services yet. We're going to seat people every other row and then three to four chairs space between you and the next person or the next household. So one household, if they're all from your family, your house, you can all sit together. And, you know, that's that's cool. But we'll space the next group three to four seats apart from you. Uh, we're not going to be passing out our normal outline handouts for the sermons, no bulletins. 
Uh, no envelopes yet, though we do have a disinfected safe bucket that you can get one out of yourself. We just won't hand it to you. Then you can put it in an offering bucket yourself, but we're not, no, no interaction. There's not going to be any coffee bar right now. Uh, we like to fellowship. We've got a booming coffee bar that people hang out in and drink coffee and, you know, maybe eat a donut or whatever. That's on pause. It'll come back someday, but that's on pause for right now. And let's face it, the next thing, no hugging yet. We're an affectionate church. We, you know, and, and I'd like to think that every church is, but it's, it's cool. They're not, but we're huggers. We're lovers. We love each other, but for now, social distancing, six feet apart, and we can do this. And here's a big thing, okay? Big announcement. Uh, there will be two morning services for right now to ensure that the building doesn't get too full. We're blessed. We do have a giant building. Thank you, Jesus, for that. But we we still can get quite full at times. So uh, the governor's asked that we reduce building capacity to 25% or 100 people. Uh, so what we're going to do is have a 9 a.m., and a 11 a.m. service, okay? So pick one or the other. We're going to have an RSVP link going out. It would help us if you could RSVP and just let us give us a heads up which service you're planning on coming to. 9 a.m. or 11, there'll be one hour link. We'll also have a Wednesday at 7 p.m. So between those three services, we should be able to fit everybody in there, give everybody a chance to be at church and to, uh, to man, be together and worship God. Uh, and we're going to ask that you not know, fellowship in the building after service. You are allowed to go outside, right on the sidewalk or parking lot, and hang out a little bit and talk to each other. And I encourage that. Uh, you got to keep your distance at that point also. But still, uh, that's going to be awesome. And the kind of the last thing I want to say is we got to keep in mind that everybody has a different opinion or feeling about this. Now, uh, the majority of people getting a hold of me, they think a lot of, you know, the rules are silly and stuff, and that's fine. I respect that. I've got people text me that they're scared, okay, uh, and and they don't know, you know, what to do. First of all, two things. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. So if there's a spirit of fear trying to get a hold of you, that's one issue uh, that needs dealt with. But if you're just, you know, don't feel safe or whatever... You know, hey, if you don't feel safe, then praise God, don't come. Watch online. Nobody's going to judge you for that. But I can assure you, this is more safe to come to church than it is to go to probably any of the stores that you've been going to. Probably to go to any of the things you've been going to do. We can do this in a safe and effective way. And uh, we're going to assemble. You know, we're going to get back together and we're going to go above and beyond and go the extra mile. Because Jesus said, if a soldier asks you to carry his gear a mile, carry it two miles. And I'm like, yeah, we can do that. We're going to carry it two miles. One thing they've asked is that we don't sing when we get together. Sorry, we're going to sing. We're going to praise God. We're going to play music. Uh, we're not going to have everybody come up front at our church. People come up front. They raise their hands, they dance, they kneel at the altar, they, they give it all out to Jesus, and we're going to get back to that, but we're not doing that just yet. But you are going to be able to sing, and we are going to have some rock and praise and worship just like always. And uh, because 
that's against our beliefs. We believe when we get together, we sing praises to God. We enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts of praise, and we're going to do all that, man. So, to kind of wrap it all up, this is an exciting time to be a Christian. Uh, our light is not going to dim, but it's going to get even brighter. Our voice is not going to whisper. It's going to shout. And we're going to be proud of the name of Jesus and be proud that we are Christians. So stay connected. Stay tuned for all the information that will be releasing and getting into your hands over the next few days. And I want to see you Sunday. I'm not going to come up and give you a big old bear hug, but... I want to see you there, and we're going to be together in God's house, but in our house, man. This is a family in our house, family reunion, and it's going to be incredible. We love you guys so much. All right, guys, let's do our Wednesday night tithes and offerings. I love it. We're going to open our Bibles to Proverbs 11, and I'm going to look here at verse 28. And I was just reading my Bible, actually, this morning, and, and I came across this verse. I've heard it before, but I loved it and wanted to share it with you tonight. If you are wondering how to give, the best way right now is online, hdwc.org slash giving. Info is on your screen right there, or there should be a link in the Facebook bio right there. You can click on that. But uh, we, again, man, it's been awesome to see God through the midst of an international crisis, prospering his people in, in, in a lot of cases and prospering the church. So Proverbs 11, verse 28, it says, trust in your money and down you go. Man, that is, that's straight to the point. Trust in your money and down you go. But the godly flourish like leaves in spring. So why do the people that trust in their money end up ultimately failing, but the godly flourish like springtime leaves. Well, it's because the godly have God involved in their finances. They do things God's way. The world says, hold on to it. But God says, no, release some of that and let me have some access. I'll help you out with your money. And I'm thinking of one young man in the church that uh, started to become a tither and giver right before the quarantine. And he's got promotions during this. He's had money coming to him from every conceivable angle, single young man. And I'm like, my gosh, what an example of somebody flourishing in the spring, like a spring leaf, because they're doing things God's way. I love it. I love to see God work. Let's speak some faith over our finances right now. Say this financial faith confession together, and I encourage you, these are not just words we say because it's our tradition. Man, this is a faith confession over our money. Let's say this together. As we bring the Lord's tithe and give offerings today, we believe we receive jobs or better jobs, promotions, raising the bonuses, benefits, sales and commissions, growth in business, settlements, estates and inheritances, interest and income, rebates and returns, Checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, finding money, bills paid off, debts paid off, royalties received, blessings and increase. Thank you, Lord, for meeting all of my financial needs so I have more than enough to take good care of my family, to give generously in the kingdom of God, and promote the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, and now, ta-da, what are we going to do? We're going to close out with the Barstow Faith Confession. And we said it so loud and so proud on Sunday. And I am convinced that God's been doing a work in Barstow through all the epidemic because of 
the Barstow Faith Confession. There's other reasons, other great things, but I believe God has used this to keep us a lot safer than what it could have been. Amen. So let's speak these words together. We declare that Barstow is a blessed city. Our families are blessed. Our schools are blessed. Our churches are blessed. Barstow is healed. Barstow is prospering. Barstow is safe. Barstow is strong. Barstow is surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. Barstow is full of love, joy, and peace. Barstow is full of the glory of God. Barstow is coming to Jesus. Barstow is saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, we'll see you Sunday. Make sure you like it on Facebook. Follow it on Instagram. Smash the subscribe button on YouTube. And we're going to be together soon. We love you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.